0: Joshua chapter 8, some people visiting today when I said I'm going to preach for an hour just elbowed the person that brought him to church. You did not tell me this man was going to preach for an hour. You can always leave, it's cool. Joshua chapter 8, wonderful lessons in the Word of God for us today. Let's read the first eight verses together. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war and with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I've given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and to its king, just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose up with the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. And he commanded them saying, see, you're going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out to meet us like they did the first time, that will flee from before them. And they'll come out after us until we've drawn them away from the city. And they're going to say, they're fleeing from us as they did last time. So we will flee from before them. And you shall then arise from your ambush and take possession of the city because the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire. You're going to do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd command us this morning that you'd speak to us just like you did Joshua and Israel. Lord, you took their place of shame and you turned it into a place of victory. They made some huge mistakes, but Lord, you redeemed their mistakes. Lord, their blunders, you work together for good. You're just so wonderful like that, Lord. You're so good. You're so kind. You're able to redeem our lives. You're able to restore and renew. We are allowed, Lord, to bring you broken and messy things. And you fix them and you clean them up. That's awesome. You are the great and mighty God. You're so good and merciful. And so, Lord, teach us about these things today. Teach us about messes and how you clean them up and our role in that and how you redeem things and make them beautiful, Lord. And then do it in our lives. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you weren't here last week, don't raise your hand. I already know who you are. But if you weren't here last week... You need to get the message from last week. This message is going to be kind of hard for you to understand without last week, so just follow along as best as you can because the two messages are really one. The two chapters are really one. When the Bible is written, there weren't chapter and verse breaks. Those were added later, and those are fine and good and usually helpful. But it's one story, it's one flow. And so the teaching is one flow, and, and chapter 7 and chapter 8 are going to kind of mingle together, and I'm going to build on concepts that we spoke about last week. And some of you might think, well, what exactly is he talking about? Get last Last week's message. You can get it in the CD and DVD table today. You could go to our website and download the free MP3. You can go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast or to the video cast that we have on there now. There's lots of ways to get it, but get it, okay? You need it for a full understanding of chapter 8. Now, last week, a little bit of review. In chapter 7, Israel suffered a humiliating defeat against I. I was a much smaller enemy than Israel, numerically speaking. Israel had just come off a great victory. They were the ones who had the Lord on their side. They should have continued in victory. But last week we saw that they suffered a defeat. There were a few key things that we spoke about that they failed to do last week that brought this defeat. One was they just failed to ask the Lord. Did you notice that last week at the beginning of chapter 7? They never said, hey Lord, should we go up to Ai at this time? Or Lord, how should we take the city? They just didn't talk to God about it. They just kind of assumed this will be fine. And that was a problem. And that's a problem in our own Christian lives. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to ask the Lord. Why would you ask of the Lord? But when you're a Christian... You have said in your heart and in your mind, my life no longer belongs to me, it belongs to the Lord. And He is the Lord, or literally, Master of my life. And so then we seek to live by that. And as we live by that, continually seeking the Lord's face and asking Him those questions, He leads us and He guides us into good places and into good things. But when we fail to ask and we just rush ahead of the Lord, as He did in chapter 7, it often means mistakes and blunders, and sometimes destruction. So they didn't talk to the Lord, they didn't ask the Lord. The other thing that they did was they overestimated themselves. They overestimated themselves. They figured, look, we just came off this great victory. We were awesome in that victory. We're going to be awesome in this confrontation. And they got their tails kicked. The book of Corinthians says, take heed of any man thinks he is strong, lest he fall." And the other thing that happened that was really paramount was sin entered the camp, right? You remember that from last week. Achan took things he wasn't supposed to take. Sin entered the camp. And that was really the crux of the issue. That's what really disabled them very carefully chosen word. That is really what disabled them from being able to stand in the face of their enemies. Remember the Lord said last week, you are not able to stand because there is sin in the camp. And so they were not able, they simply were not able in God's economy to get the victory. So there was prayerlessness, there was pride, and there was sin. And this brought for Israel a great defeat. And they found themselves retreating from Ai down into the valley of Achor. In Hebrew, trouble. The valley of trouble. And there they are, defeated, disillusioned, and some of them destroyed. They're not asking the Lord... They're getting overly confident. They're having sin in the camp not only brought defeat and disillusionment, but it brought destruction. And Christians, haven't we already learned that sin always brings destruction in our lives? It always brings death in one way or another, either ultimately or to relationships, to well-being, whatever it might be. Sin is destructive. And so as we spoke of last week, we need to be ruthless with sin in our lives because sin is always going to be ruthless with us. Amen? need a little more amen amen Amen. but here's where the story turns now in chapter 8 you see God was not done with them yet yes they blew it they absolutely blew it they blundered but God was not done with them yet he is going to organize a victory from their mistake he is going to forge for them a success from their failure that's just what God does That's just who our God is. He takes our mistakes and He organizes them and redeems them into victories. He takes our failures and He forges successes for us. Listen, have you ever blown it? Good. Because God is in the business of second chances. Listen, and He does things better than we ever could have done them. He takes our ashes, our crumbled things, our broken things, our messes, And He makes them beautiful. The Lord does that. And so don't sweat it, man. You made some mistakes. You blundered. They might have been huge mistakes. They're not too big for the Lord. The Lord is totally in the business of second chances and redeeming. Now, we're going to see how the Lord gave Him the victory. We're going to read a few verses together right now, starting in verse 9, and then we're going to come back to verses 1 through 8, which is really where the bulk of our lessons and applications are going to come from. But we're just going to see how the battle unfolded, how the Lord's strategy worked, how He gave Him that victory. Now I want to warn you, we're going to read together right now 20 verses, uninterrupted, 20 verses. Are you guys going to be okay? Okay, if this was junior high, I'd be concerned. But since it's the adult service, 20 verses, we're all right. Cool? Don't let your mind wander. Your mind's going to want to flutter after eight verses. Watch. After eight, you're going to go and trip out. Don't trip out. Focus on the Word of God, okay? Starting in verse nine. Here's how the battle unfolded. So Joshua sent them away, and they went to the place of ambush and remained between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with all the people. Now Joshua got up early in the morning and mustered the people and he went up with the elders of Israel before all the people to Ai. Then all the people who were were with him went up and drew near and arrived in front of the city and camped on the north side of the city. Now there was a valley between Joshua and Ai and he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west side of the city, and Joshua spent the night in the midst of the valley. And it came about when the king of Ai saw that the men of the city hurried and rose up and went out to meet Israel in battle, he and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he didn't know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel. And they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in ambush rose quickly from their place. And when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they quickly then set the city on fire. When the men of Ai turned back and looked, behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky, and they had no place to flee this way or that, for the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in the ambush had captured the city, and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew the men of Ai." And the others came out of the city to encounter them so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now it came about when Israel finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed. Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword." And all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand, which he had stretched out the javelin with, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only for themselves the cattle and the spoil of the city as plunder, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation unto this day." And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua gave command and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over a great heap of stones. It stands to this day. All right. That's how the battle unfolded. That is how it happened on this time around. The strategy that the Lord gave them and the outworking of that strategy and the victory that they experienced over that city, that is a historical record of what took place. Now I want us to glean a few lessons for for our own lives from the things that happened before the battle. As you go back to verse 1, you remember that it says there at the very beginning, Now the Lord said to Joshua... For those of you that are careful readers of the Bible, students of the Bible, you'll notice that this is a change from the beginning of chapter 7. The Lord is now speaking to Joshua. Where is it? The beginning of chapter 7, Joshua wasn't hearing from the Lord. That silence should have been deafening to you, the student of the Bible, the sensitive Bible reading. You should say, wait a minute. What's going on here? The Lord isn't speaking to Joshua. It should have been deafening. Now we've turned a corner. But what happened in chapter 7 was Joshua initiated that first advance against I. It should have been the Lord, right? They should have gotten their marching orders from the Lord. Remember when the Lord appeared to Joshua, that pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ at Theophany as a captain of the Lord's armies, right? And he said, listen, I'm in charge here, Joshua. So when battle was going to take place, it should have been at the leading, at the command, at the initiation of the Lord. But Joshua didn't wait for the voice of the Lord in chapter 7. He didn't wait for it. He just began to assume that he can make the decisions in and of himself now. And he was the one who initiated the battle. And he didn't wait on the voice of the Lord. Has anybody ever got themselves in trouble when they didn't wait to hear from the Lord? Just me? Okay, most of us. If you haven't, it's coming pretty soon. So Joshua initiated the advance instead of the Lord and that got them in trouble. And what he did was he sent spies up to check out Ai and when they came back, he took their advice. Now, the uh, the Israeli spies nowadays are the best in the world. Uh, uh, the Mossad, the Secret Service. They're excellent. But but in Old Testament times, you know, these Israeli spies, they, they had a uh, kind of a bad reputation, didn't they? Numbers 13 and 14, they came back and gave a bad report. And the people believed the report and it got them into a lot of trouble. Now these spies go up to I, and they come back and give a bad strategy. There were 12,000 inhabitants of Ai and the spies come back and say, listen, Josh, I'm, we're feeling pretty bad after that, bad as not good, you know what I mean, like slaying. We're, we're feeling pretty tough after that victory over Jericho. Let's just send a few thousand people up to Ai, no big deal. Joshua, as a leader, made a major blunder when he took their advice instead of seeking the wisdom of the Lord. So often we fall into that trap. We hear all these voices, many of them contrary to the word of God. All these of opinions, you know, and people are so given to various whims and ideologies and stuff, and we're just too quick to buy into them instead of testing them against the word of God. Joshua should have stopped and said, Okay, Lord, here's what's going on. The spies went and they looked at I and and there's twelve thousand inhabitants, and they think we should just send up two or three thousand people. Hey Lord, what do you think? Isn't that a novel idea? Just asking the Lord what He thinks for our life? I mean, did you know that He's got an opinion? He wants to be Lord of your life. Did you know that He has wisdom and insight, discernment and knowledge, that He sees all things? Did you know that He wants to speak to you? It's just that we so often fail to say, Hey Lord, what should I do in this situation? And in my own life, that's often where I've gotten in trouble. And so... He wasn't waiting for the voice of the Lord. He wasn't seeking the voice of the Lord. And they got themselves in trouble and, and they were defeated and now they're disillusioned and dismay, dismayed and some of them been destroyed. And I love when the Lord speaks now, changing the whole vibe of everything. When He begins to speak in chapter 8, I love what He says. He says to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. He comes and just meets Joshua in his brokenness. Joshua totally knew that he blew it. Usually we don't need someone to tell us when we've blown it, right? We understand that. Usually what we need is mercy and compassion and understanding. Amen? And the Lord is so quick to give that to us. You know, we're very vindictive people. We're mean and we're rotten and we're wicked. You know what I mean? And somebody's in the valley of trouble and we say things like, well, you made your bed, now you got to sleep in it. You know what I mean? Or while you reap what you sow and this and that and the other. We kind of like to see people squirm a little bit, but the Lord is not like us. Amen? Amen. He's way better. He's way nicer than we are. And Joshua knew he blew it. And he's been defeated and he's dismayed and he's discouraged and the defeat costs many lives in Israel. And he's bummed out and in the valley of trouble. And the Lord comes and meets him in his brokenness and says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed meets him in his shame. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And that's often where we find ourselves, you know, when we make bad decisions is discouraged over the past and fearful about the future. That's exactly what Joshua was. He was a leader of the nation. There's a lot of weight riding on his shoulders. And he was discouraged that, that a few dozen in Israel had died. They were defeated. He made some key mistakes. Of course, Aiken bore a lot of blame as well. And now he's afraid about the future, doesn't know what to do. And the Lord comes and speaks to him. I just want to encourage you guys because I love you. When you're in a tough place, listen for the Lord. Begin to speak to the Lord. Ask the Lord what his heart is for your situation. Ask the Lord what it is he wants to do. Now, the best way that I know to hear the voice of the Lord is, is to read the Bible. The Lord speaks to me prophetically just like he wants to speak to you prophetically. Uh, But but the best way that I know to really just get right in touch with the heart of God is begin to read the word. But we don't always feel like that when we're discouraged, do, do we? When we're discouraged about the past and fearful about the future, we ought to run right to the word and seek God's heart and wisdom and love. But there's just this weird thing in us that it makes it, it's hard to go to the word in those times. You've got to be overcomers at that time. You've got to overcome. You've got to exercise a little wherewithal, a little spiritual self-discipline and just open up the word. Pray a simple prayer, faith God, speak to me. I'm fearful. I'm discouraged. I'm dismayed. I've made mistakes. I'm in the valley of trouble. I don't know what to do, but Lord, my eyes are on you. And so speak to me, Lord. Man, your heavenly father's going to meet you at that time. He's going to meet his children in that place. Look what it says in Psalm 34, 17 through 18. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that good? Have you made trouble for yourselves? as the results of your sin been so gnarly that you're in a brokenhearted and crushed place? The Lord wants to meet you right there. He's not afraid to meet us in a place of shame where we are. He's not afraid to come and extend the hand of mercy to us at that time. And what's really neat about the Lord is He never discourages us from progressing at that time. You know, we're a little self-deprecating at times and, 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 you know, we like to get down on ourselves and we think that we need to wallow for a little while. The Lord isn't like that. The Lord loves to immediately deliver his people and then move them forward in life. That's who the Lord is. He's never afraid to just move his people into forward progress from a place of discouragement. It says in Psalm 37, 23 through 24, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, he's not going to be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Amen? The Lord wants to hold your hand. Very purposefully, what you've got to do is place yourself in the hands of the Lord. He's more than willing as his children to hold on to you that way. I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old. My boy Isaiah Harley is six and my girl Daisy Love is two. And when we get to a parking lot, I let them out of the car. The first thing that I want to do as their father is grab their hands. You know what I'm talking about. You'll know when you're a mama. The first thing that you want to do is just grab their hands and just hold on to them so tight. You know, they're just silly little kids. They're just spastic and they just want to run in every direction. But you have a better perspective than them and you have more wisdom you're significantly taller than them and so you're able to look and say there's a car that just came in the entrance of the parking lot right there there's a car coming from the left over here it's probably going to turn this way there's these people coming over here you are able to survey what lies in their immediate future know where danger is and when their hands are in yours you are able to keep them from it that's who the Lord wants to be for you he is able to survey the land He is able to see and He knows what lies ahead. And He wants to keep us preserved and healthy and protected and in a good place. But we've got to place our hands in the hands of Jesus, you understand. And so often we're just obstinate little kids like my little kids. They'll just wiggle and they just want to get their hands out of my hands. I tell you the truth. When there is danger in front of them and cars zooming back and forth, I would rather squeeze their hands till their little bones crush than let them go. I would rather break their hands than let them go. The Lord would rather you be broken than in rebellion. He will hold on to you. Sometimes the Lord will seek to break you. Back in Bible days, the shepherds would have a sheep that continually wandered away. It was an obstinate sheep. It was a habitual wanderer. And time and time again, he would go and he'd retrieve that sheep and he'd find that sheep and it may have gained some new parasites. It may have been in peril. It may have been attacked by wolves. And that thing wandered off and put itself in danger. And he grabbed that little sheep and put it on, its, on his shoulders and he'd take it back. But eventually, if that sheep continued to wander and wander and wander, for that little lamb, own good. The shepherd would take his staff and snap the leg of that little lamb. Now that lamb was going to be lame for some time. What would that shepherd then do? That shepherd would carry that lamb on his shoulders until it was completely healed. When it was healed and he finally let it go, that lamb would no longer wander. It would not leave his side. It would forever be near the shepherd. Sometimes the Lord needs to break his obstinate, rebellious people to keep them near. He does it from a place of love, He does it from a place of mercy. I would rather have my little kids' hands breaking in mine than to let them run into oncoming traffic and threaten their lives. That's who the Lord is for us. And by the way, He's a God of new beginnings. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. The Lord is looking to support people. He wants to strongly support you. He, he wants to uphold you with His righteous right hand. He wants to carry you through this life. He wants to be near and present and a help to you. And his eyes go to and fro across the earth, looking for someone who would just submit themselves to him, who would place their lives in his hands. I love what the Lord says next in verse 1. It's wonderful. It's so kind. He says to Joshua, Arise and go up to Ai. Look, I've given it into your hand. That's beautiful when you understand that. The last place that Joshua really wanted to go was was back to Ai, that was a place of defeat. That was a place of shame for them. That was a shameful defeat. Israel, they were several hundred thousand. And I was only 12,000. It was a shameful thing that they were defeated by them. And that's the last place they wanted to go was that place of humiliation. But I love the Lord. That He doesn't just leave a bunch of brokenness in the wake of our lives. But He takes us to the very place of shame and He rebuilds glory there. He takes us to the very place of brokenness and turns it into a place of victory. And I could just almost picture in the spirit the Lord bending down to Joshua and just putting his hand under his little chin and saying, Come on, get up, Josh. Let's go back up to I. I know. I know it's a scary place. I know that was a place of hurt. I know that was a place of shame. But I'm going to give you victory, I'm going to redeem it for you, Joshua. That's who the Lord is. You made some mistakes, come to the Lord. You made some messes, come to the Lord. You find yourself in the valley of trouble, the Lord wants to take your places of defeat and make them places of victory. What does it say in Psalm 30, verses 11 through 12? The psalmist speaking to the Lord says, You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to You and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I'm going to give You thanks forever. Amen? Has the Lord done that in your life? I ought to be super thankful He's done that in my life. Isaiah 61.3 says that Jesus came to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord that He may be glorified. Listen to who Jesus wants to be to you. He wants you to bring Him your ashes, and He will give you a bouquet in exchange. He's the Redeemer. He wants you, you, you to bring the spirit of fainting and the clothing of mourning and He'll give you a mantle of praise and oil of gladness instead. And what He wants to do for us is He wants to take weak, sinful people and make us strong oaks of righteousness. That's redemption. We are the weak and the sinful and in Him, we become oaks of righteousness. The planning of the Lord, the working of the Lord, the work accomplished by His Holy Spirit, not of ourselves. Why? It says at the end of verse, that He may be glorified. It is the glory of God, theologically speaking, that He takes weak sinners and makes them oaks of righteousness. Amen? I want to be an oak of righteousness in my life. It's not something I can attain to or achieve. It says I submit myself to the Lord. And when I make a mistake, I bring those ashes to the Lord. Lord, look, I blew it. I'm sorry, Lord. I bring that mourning to the Lord. I bring those messes to the Lord and He redeems and transforms. And remember from last week, Hosea chapter 2, referring to the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble that we found in Joshua chapter 7, said that this was in store for Israel's future. The Lord speaking to them says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak to her kindly. Look at the Lord. He's going to do this at a time where they're in rebellion. He says, I'm going to draw them unto myself. Now, the book of Romans says that the Lord draws us with loving kindness. By being so kind to us, He draws us back when we're in rebellion. We just rebel. We're like snotty little kids. And we just walk away from the Lord, just, uh, just uh, and the Lord just draws us back with loving kindness. And he said that he would do that to Israel in their rebellion, and he would speak kindly to her. And then he says, I'm going to give her her vineyards. I'm going to return to her her fruitfulness, even though she pursued barrenness. And the valley of Achor will become a door of hope the Valley of Trouble, I'm going to open up a door of new beginnings in that place and she's going to sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Man, are you you having hard times? If you're not right now, you will. That's part of life and so please listen very carefully. The Lord wants to meet you in those hard times. Whether they're trials allowed into your life by God or it's your own big, fat, nasty mess that you made, The Lord wants to meet you. And where there seems to be no hope, He wants to open up a door of hope. Part of the key of life is letting the Lord open the doors and not opening them for yourselves. That's what Joshua did. He tried to open the door to the victory over I himself and he was defeated. Part of the key of the Christian life is to trust the Lord enough and to be patient enough to let the Lord open up the door. Lord, I'm in the valley of trouble. Show me the way of escape. Lord, I'm not going to birth an Ishmael here. I'm not going to take things into my own hands, Lord. I'm not going to push the issue. I'm going to do what's right and I'm going to wait on you and I'm going to trust in your good nature. Amen? Amen. Lord is so good. Now, I love what happens in in verse 2. He says, And you shall do to I and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. But now there's a change from the protocol for Jericho. You noticed it when we first read it. Look what the Lord says. says, He says, this time you shall take its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. You shall take only its cattle and its spoil. They weren't going to be able to take away the people. The people had to be destroyed. We discuss that at length in our study of Joshua chapter 6, theologically and logically speaking, why it was that they had to be destroyed. If you have issues with that, please go and listen to that lesson, the study on Joshua six seventeen through 27. We explain why these people had to be destroyed in the heart and the mind of God. But what I want to draw your attention to is this the Lord was now going to allow them to take all the junk, all the stuff, all the good things that the inhabitants of Ai would have left behind. Remember, when they took Jericho, they weren't able to touch any of the stuff. They had to leave it all. And we discussed that in that lesson as well. Why that was, we won't belabor it now. But here's my point. I'm heartbroken for Achan. If Achan had just waited a little bit he would have received from the Lord so much more than he insisted on taking for himself previously. If he had just obeyed the Lord, if he had just believed that the Lord is good, and just trusted in waited, he would have received so much more from the Lord than he ever could have gotten for himself. He couldn't hide much under his tent What he took into his own hands was infinitesimal compared to what the Lord would have given him. The Lord opened up all of I. I had about four times as many people in it as Jericho. That means about four times the stuff. And the Lord was going to say, Achan, go for it. Dude, you want stuff? All the stuff that you want. Achan came away from Jericho with a measly little Babylonian coat, a bar of gold and a little bit of silver. And it cost him his life. He sold himself short and he hurt those whom he loved the most when he simply couldn't wait and obey the Lord. I imagine if you were Aiken's dad, Aiken's grandfather, Aiken's best friend, Aiken's cousin, and you heard this decree from the Lord, you guys are going up to I and I'm going to let you take all the stuff. You wept that day. Your heart broke for Aiken that day and you just thought, oh, if only Achan would have trusted the Lord. Now here's something very poignant. Every sin that we go after, that we willfully engage in, can be traced back to a lie that we at one time begin to believe. Every sin that we engage in can be traced back to a lie that we believe in. Think about it in your life later on. Not right now. Listen to me. Think about later on in your life. That's the truth. What do you suppose the lies Achan was believing? What, do you suppose, what lies do you suppose Achan had begun to believe that caused him to sin against the Lord? Well, we could very easily think of a few of them. He thought, nobody will know. Nobody's going to know. I'll hide it underneath my tent. Nobody will know. The Lord knew. The Lord always knows. That was a lie. Just like Satan lied to Eve in the garden. That was a lie. He began to believe it. I'm, I'm going to get away with this. We're just so quick to discount that the Lord knows. And sometimes we think, well, if no people know, I don't think it's sin. And it, uh, Another lie that he bought into was, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's my own little thing. I'm not hurting anybody else. We hear that so often in society. Well, I'm not hurting anybody else by doing this. Listen, all sin is sin against God. But all sin is destructive and it did hurt those whom he loved the most. It cost them their very lives. It was destructive and heartbreaking in the life of Israel. He believed the lies nobody will know and nobody will get hurt. You know what's another lie that he began to believe? God's not very good to me. Oh, I know God is good. It's one of the mantras of Yisrael. I know God is generally good, but God's not that good to me. And so God is never really going to satisfy me. And so I need to make it happen myself. It's exactly what he believed. That is exactly what he thought. God is keeping all these things from me. Well, God's not that good. He's not going to give those things to me in the future. Then he's never going to have anything good for me. So I'm going to go ahead and take them. That, That was a lie from Satan. Achan was deceived by Satan and it brought destruction into his life. It is so heartbreaking to think if he had just hung on, if he had just resisted the devil and the moment of temptation, if he had just rejected the lie. No, somebody is going to know. God's going to know. No, it is going to hurt people. Sin always hurts the people nearest us. No, the Lord is good. I really want that Babylonian coat and that bar of gold, but I believe that the Lord is good and has good things in store for me. I'm not going to take for myself what God in His wisdom has withheld from me now. If he had just hung on and waited a little bit, he would have had at least four times more from the Lord with blessings than he provided for himself. Warren Wearsby says, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. Now, I want you to notice one more thing about that verse. At the end of it, the Lord says that they're to set an ambush for the city behind it. They're to set an ambush for the city. Very simply, I just want to say this. God is changing the strategy from Jericho. Remember, Jericho, they were to walk around the city And there's a very specific strategy. They were to be silent. And then came the shout and the shofar and all that stuff. God is changing the way that they would do it now. I just want to say this. And it's very cliche. We all know it. But don't discount. It's very true. God does not like to be put into any boxes. You know what I mean? And so it's very cool. What God will do is he'll continually push the boundaries of what you find to be comfortable. Of what you find to be normative or well-known. He doesn't want to be put in boxes. He's very big. He's got a lot of options. He's really, 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 really super duper smart. He could do things a lot of ways. And we are creatures of habit. I'm that way. Are you that way? Whenever I go to a restaurant, I always order the same thing, period. If I've been there and I had a good thing once, I never veer. Huh, honey? My wife will tell you. I never veer. If I had a good thing once, I will always get the same thing. We are creatures of habits. That's just just who we are. But sometimes that gets us into a rut in life. Well, here's the way it's always been. And here's the way I've always done it. My Christian walk, whatever it is. And here's the way that I always will do it. We get in a little rut. Lord, is so much bigger than ruts. Lord is never in a rut. If you're in a rut, guess who's blowing it? It's not the Lord, man. It's you. And so here's what you do Hey, Lord, is there anything different you'd like to do in my life? Lord, is there anything new that you'd like to do? Lord, is there any way that I should approach things differently? I'll give you a hint. It's never going to be outside the bounds of Scripture. This is the only box that God submits himself to is Scripture because it's His Word. It's never going to be contrary to Scripture, it's never going to be beyond Scripture. But gee whiz, isn't there enough in Scripture for the Lord to do? I think at times we've got to come and say, Lord, I'm getting a little bit stale here. Would you do something new in my life? Lord, would you speak to me in a fresh way? Is there some way that I should approach my, my devotion? Should it be a different time? Should I sit in a different chair? Should I read a different book? Lord, what should I do? Lord, this relationship I'm in, this marriage that I'm in, it's awesome, Lord. I love my wife. But it's just kind of been going along for a long time. Lord, would you breathe fresh life into it? Will you show us something new? Will you just do something fresh in my life? God is a God who's fresh, amen? God will always do something fresh and wonderful in our lives. I'm not talking about, Lord, give me some weird experience, make me do this and blah, 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 and the other. <laughs> just, Lord, you're so big, you're so vast, you're so giant. I don't want to be limited by my finiteness. I want to tap into your infiniteness, Amen? That's a cool lesson. He wanted them to take this city in a whole different way. Now, verses 3 and 4 say this. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. And he commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. I just want to say this. Those that would experience the victory firsthand were those who were valiant warriors and maintained readiness. As a Christian, are you a warrior and are you ready? Because we are to be as Christians. Our enemy is spiritual, of course, Satan and his minions and his work. And we're to be warriors for the Lord. It says in 1 Timothy one eighteen that we're to fight the good fight. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.3 says we're, we are soldiers of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says we're to be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. I love that passage. And so you as a Christian, could you be characterized as a warrior who's ready? You need to be in these last days. Have you read the Bible lately what it says about the last days? We have got to be on guard, spiritually alert, Ready to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Two stories that happened in the life of our church this week. I have permission to tell these stories. One guy in our church, he's a a very close friend of mine. I love him very much. He uh, is just beginning to get opportunities from the Lord to teach the word. uh, To lead one of our, our home groups on occasion. And it's really exciting for him. It's a brand new thing. And he's really stepped outside of his comfort zone to do it. And the Lord is blessing him in it. He does a really good job. And he's just done it a few times. He's excited about it. So last Tuesday night, he was supposed to teach at home group. But he got a really bad headache that day, a migraine headache. And he gets migraines on occasion, he used to get them a lot more. Praise the Lord, he doesn't get them as often now. But when he gets them, they're debilitating. I mean, he goes in his room and he turns off the light and he shuts the door and he gets under the covers and that's it for a few days, fully debilitating. And he had this gnarly migraine, but he was supposed to teach the Bible that night at one of our home groups. He decided in his heart, you know what? I'm not going to let this beat me this time. I'm going to be more than a conqueror this week. I'm going to be a warrior. I'm going to be ready to serve the Lord. He knew that he was going to need help to do that. And so he called myself and Pastor G. Actually, we I chatted him, you know, video chat on our Macs. And we had him there on the screen and he just looked like death. He was laying in his bed and he's on our screen and he told us his situation and he said, I want to stand firm. I want to be strong in the strength of the Lord and I want to do what the Lord has for me tonight. I need help. And we prayed for him. The three of us, we just prayed there together and just pained him even to pray. And we said, in Jesus' name, amen. And the Lord didn't heal him. He still had the headache, but you know what he had? Resolve. Resolve. He had the headache, but he still had resolve. He said, no way. I'm not letting this thing get the victory. I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to go for it. He went to home group that night and he said when he started to teach the word, his headache went today went away and it was blessed of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? He just decided to be a warrior and to be ready for what the Lord had for him. He needed a little bit of help and he got help. That's the body of Christ. But his whole world changed on Tuesday because he decided not to wuss out. He decided not to be a wimp. He decided not to back down. (laughs) He said, no, I'm a servant of the Lord and I'm going to be a warrior and I'm going to press on and persevere. And the Lord gave him grace for it. Another story from our body this week, this sweet girl. Um, She has not slept well in years. Uh, shes I don't want to step on your theological toes, but whatever. She's had uh, demonic visits in the night, uh, clearly discernible visual presences in her room, horrific nightmares, and just has been tormented in her nights and has never woke up feeling like she slept in a long time. She said, I've had enough of this. I am not letting the enemy rule my nights. I am not letting him rip me off from life in Jesus Christ. I'm not letting him steal my joy. I'm going to get the victory. She knew she was going to need some help. And so we got some of the pastors together and sent them over to her house and they began to pray and bless the Lord and and did a little bit of spiritual work there. And she said, she just told me right before this service that the last three nights have been the best nights of rest she's ever had in her life. she got the victory. She simply decided, I'm not giving in anymore. I'm not wussing out. I want to be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. I want to experience that victory. I'm going to need a little bit of help. There's help in the body of Christ. Are you willing to be a ready warrior for Jesus in these last days? If you are, you will be like those who won up against I and experience the victory and the plunder and the spoils and the blessings. If not, c'est la vie for you. But there's so much more than what you're compromising into. There's so much more than what you're experiencing. The Lord wants to give you the fullness and all the joy thereof. Verses 7 and 8. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire and you shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I've commanded you. All I want to say about that is this. They obeyed the Lord and they took possession of the city. They obeyed the Lord. Specifically, they did it according to His word. Is that not the paramount lesson of the book of Joshua? exactly what he said in Joshua 1.8, the Lord to Joshua. Joshua, if you will be very careful to observe the word of the Lord, to not depart to the right or the left, but to walk in it, if you will be very careful to observe it, you will have success and prosperity in the land. No big secret, man. That's the Christian life. They did it according to the word of the Lord and there was victory and joy and blessings. Before, when they did it according to the word of self and was sin in the camp, there was defeat, disillusionment, and destruction. See, I've set before you today life and death. Choose one. You live according to the word of God. It will always bring life into your existence. He's a God of life. Will always bring life. You rebel against the word of God, it will always bring death in one form or another. They were so impressed with the fact that, wow, when we didn't obey the Lord, we got our rears kicked. When we obeyed the Lord, we got the victory and got super blessed. They were so impressed by that, that they did something really cool in the last few verses. Okay, we're going to skip all the way to verse 30 and be done. We'll just finish up these verses. It says in verse 30, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. Look what it says in verse 32. And he wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, the word of God that they had so far, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. They went to the foot of Mount Ebal, which is 30 miles north of where they were. 30 miles north of where they were, the Valley of Shechem. When we go to Israel in September, those of you that are going with us, we'll go to the Valley of Shechem. We will see it. We'll see Mount Ebal on one side and Mount Gerizim on the other. The Valley of Shechem has a rich history. When Abraham first came into the land of Canaan, as far as he went was to the Valley of Shechem and he hung out there a while. Jacob hung out in the Valley of Shechem, built an altar to the Lord there. He also had Jacob's well there. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, that location was in the Valley of Shechem. Very awesome place. They go 30 miles out of their way to build an altar to the Lord. They were so impressed with the victory that they experienced when they obeyed God. They went 30 miles out of their way to this historic place and they built an altar to the Lord. By the way, in 1985, there were excavations and they found what they believed to be the altar of Joshua in this very location. A historical testament to the fact that that they were so thankful for what the Lord had done that they went to just praise and worship and sacrifice unto Him. Let me tell you something. Be very careful to build altars in the place of victory. Build an altar in the place of victory. God gives you victory over something in your life, build an altar of praise on it. Just praise the Lord right there. Just offer up the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Just bless His name and just set it in stone, so to speak. This is what the Lord did in my life right here. For some of you guys, a place of defeat for you is your computer. Man, that is a place of defeat for you. The Lord wants to give you victory. And then He wants you to build an altar of praise over your computer. Fill it with the Word of God. Wipe your hard drive clean, both the one inside your computer and inside your cabeza. Wipe those hard drives clean and fill them with the Word of God and build an altar of praise over that thing and walk in the victory of Jesus Christ. That's how you live the Christian life. Amen? The second thing that they did was they they wrote a copy of the law of Moses on those stones. Giant stones that they built the altar with. What they would have done according to Deuteronomy 27 is whitewash the stones with lime and then they wrote the word of God on there. You know why they did that? Historically, contextually speaking... Because the pagan kings of that time, when they got a great victory, they would write about themselves on stones in the land. Giant stones. They'd wash them with lime and then they'd write about themselves. I did this and I did that and I'm so awesome and I'm so great. And it'd be a testimony to themselves. Israel, God's people, are to be different from the world. When they got the victory, they glorified the Lord. And when they wanted to write a testimony on the stones, they wrote the word of God. I hope the word of God is in your heart and in your house. And we end with this, verse 33. And all Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Le- Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The strangers well as the native. Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim on one side of the valley and half in- stood in front of Mount Ebal on the other side. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel Then afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. The last thing that they did to just seal up that victory is they read and agreed with the word of God they read and they, listen, victory begins with the word of God and victory ends with the word of God. You leave off any end and and defeat is nearby. Victory begins with your life in the word and it ends with your life in the word. And Joshua and the boys have learned a few lessons. Okay, we're going to follow the voice of the Lord. And at the end of it, we're going to read the word of the Lord. They just bookend it with the word of God. And that brought such blessing into their lives. And Deuteronomy chapter 27 tells us what they did at this time. As they read the word of the Lord, the people on one side of the valley, hundreds of thousands of them said, Amen! And then they would read another phrase, and the people on the other side by Mount Gerizim would say, Amen! Hundreds of thousands of them, and in the middle reading the word, and Amen! And they read further, Amen! Just this echo of amens happening throughout the valley of Shechem. You know what amen means, don't you? It just means so be it. Or I agree that that is right and good. And when the word of God was read in their midst, they said, we agree that it is right and good. And by the word of God, we get the victory. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for your word. It's awesome. Thank you, Lord, that you enter into our places of shame and our places of defeat and you turn them into good and wonderful things. There is no other God like you. And we ask the Holy Spirit now you'd come and make application of the word to our lives. I'm aware, Lord, that there's plenty of brokenness in this room. There's plenty of defeat. But we're asking that you'd revive us according to your word. The Holy Spirit, you would please come and move in our midst, meet us in places of shame, turn our mourning into dancing, take the ashes and the brokenness and exchange for us beauty and wholeness, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and minister to your people. Come and give us new beginnings. Repair and heal our hearts, Lord. We are the broken. We are the broken. But you're the healer, Lord. If you guys need help this morning, the prayer team is here and they would really love to help you. You want to get on your face before the Lord? That's a good thing to do.